Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Directors Club Podcast, episode 178. And I'm your host, Jim Laskowski. Well, um, good things often come in threes, so why not make it a trilogy of episodes to discuss a beloved filmmaker that we haven't talked about in quite a while? I, I, I'm shocked to say that it's, I think it's been five years since we did the Spielberg episodes. Um, and I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm really into the idea of doing sequel episodes uh, right at the moment, but why not recruit the two original guests from the other two parts? Since both of them consider this particular director to be one of their absolute favorites. I'm of course talking about Spielberg, uh, Steven Spielberg, that is. And I'm happy to welcome back returning guests, Colin Suter. Hello. And Hi. Eric Childress. That's me. You're right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is exciting. Um, I'm really glad that you guys are back. Uh, very strange since the things have not things have been a little strange since the last time we all hung out. Um, the last time we talked together, we were all in the same room, not wearing masks, coughing all over the place <laughs> without a care in the world. Um, were we coughing? I know. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been a little strange if we were just like, actually all sick in the same room, but uh, no, this was our, our yearly retrospective that we do. Uh, this we recorded that back in February and now the whole world is falling apart. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say that I, if things aren't better in time for February of next year, maybe we can just sit six feet apart outside or something like that movie. Oh, six feet apart, six feet apart. Is oh. there a movie called Fuck oh, no, people who are very sick? Oh, that's right. Talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you both holding up during these crazy, crazy times? Uh, Colin, I know that you actually ventured out to the uh, music box theater to see vertigo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, since we're all living in an alternate reality that should never have taken place, uh, vertigo feels somewhat appropriate. Um, it's uh, really, it was a really, you know, um, great experience, really, because it's been the last time I was in an indoor movie theater was the music box for the 70 millimeter festival. And the movie was Tron. And that was on a Sunday <laughs> morning. And uh, then it was just like, I had planned to go to more movies that week, but then it just felt like, man, I, I feel like I'm becoming part of the problem and not the solution. I should stop going and stay home and quarantine like everybody else. So I stopped and, you know, music box uh, reopened their doors under the phase four guidelines uh, in Illinois. And so they have a 700 seat theater and they are only allowed 50 patrons in that theater, which when you look at the music box layout, that's not a lot of seats, but sure. Um, but they have to make their money somehow. So uh, we went and there, you know, they uh, have the uh, many rows roped off and um, it's kind of forces you to socially distance uh, because even when they were limited capacity back uh, in March, when they could only allow 250 people in, people are still like not getting the hint. Like you're not supposed to sit directly behind somebody, dude, move. Um, right. 
but now they're now you're forced to so that's good and so um i've felt very safe and i think you should go with your gut i mean if you are apprehensive and, and hesitant about going to a movie theater indoors uh don't do it you know that's just that's fine like it's okay to i i don't want to encourage everybody to go even though i want music box to make money and i want them to survive this um because they need every dime they can get right now but at the same time like i don't want to be you know held accountable like hey man i took your advice and went to the music box and now i got a cold um yeah i don't i don't want that put on me so i'm telling you i had a good experience i felt safe if you are interested in going and you're curious about it i say it's fine but i don't you know that's up to you not me just so, just so you know, and of course, Vertigo in seventy millimeter. That's the first time I ever saw it in that format in the on the big screen, Ooh. and uh, yeah, it was just it was it's I just I haven't I don't watch that movie often enough. I should watch it more often because uh, you know what am I going to say yeah. about it that hasn't already been said a thousand times? It's like talking about Citizen Kane. What what am I going to bring to the table? Just it's yeah, of course, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't bring Patrick on for the Hitchcock episode because uh, he doesn't like Vertigo. Uh, the problem. <laughs> problem. Uh, but anyway, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely apprehensive. I, and I, I, I commend you for going. I'm still torn. But then again, my favorite director is Paul Thomas Anderson, and they're showing Phantom Thread soon. And I really want to go, <laughs> and I think I will. I think I think you know mm-hmm. I I've, I've been pretty cautious overall and i kind of have to be in the the library environment that i work in since i do occasionally have to interact with the general public which can be scary in of itself because you know some people think wearing a mask on your chin is the way to wear a mask which is i don't understand and uh i i think uh i will venture out to see phantom thread I, i i really do feel comfortable I I think I hope I mean the thing is is like every time you look at the news or you see that our numbers aren't necessarily going down it, it does create a little bit more panic and uncertainty with will we be going back a phase or not because I, I have a you know tendency to think that uh, it, it might get worse all over again but I don't know. It's it's such a treat to to actually go to a real live movie theater and to see it in 70 millimeter that uh, you took the risk. You're fine. (laughs) I think I can be willing to do the same. Yeah. And and like I posted like a short paragraph on Letterboxd about, you know, on the Vertigo page about, you know, oh, I'm just logging this because this is my first film back in a indoor movie theater. And I got a couple replies saying, are you, you know, dude, it's not worth your health to go to a movie, stay home. And that's, you know, that's <laughs> fine. That's fair. But like, if I sure. felt, if we felt unsafe, we would have left, you know, we, we, you know, we were very precautious. We took, you know, we put that thought in our head. Like if, if, if this doesn't feel right, let's just go. And we, you know, we felt fine. So did you eat anything during the movie? Yeah, uh, we got popcorn and candy and po- and, and and soda. So we're uh, so we you know we had, had to pull our masks down to eat our popcorn, and then we put our masks mm-hmm. back on. So yeah, mm-hmm. you do have to wear the mask while you're in the theater. So yeah, okay, makes sense. Like yes, yeah. It's yeah. like I said, I want to give 
music box my my money and i want them to thrive so well we also have the uh virtual viewing tab that uh you know eric and i sort of collaborated on over at the chicagofilmcritics.org website which is another way people can support a lot of um local theaters and watch a lot of movies at home i know it's not the same but it's still a way to support and help out those in need so i'm glad that we uh put that together um so eric how have you been holding up um not great yeah uh, you know i mean this is, is, is when people would ask me that at the beginning of this whole thing you know it, it wasn't that much of a switch for me um i you know i tried to go out as little as possible i you know i did, did do a lot of work at home and different different projects and stuff so uh, you know, me, the, the added, in, it was almost an added incentive to not have to go out to do certain things, especially when it came to certain, to doing movies and things like that, that some things were coming home to streaming and more, uh, things are being moved up in the rotation, so to speak. So we, they were doing, you know, some decent stuff and keeping us busy and occupied to keep our minds off it. But, uh, you know, after that, you know, like as usual, like, you know, the government does one thing. And then, you know, they think, oh, problem solved. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what they did was not enough for a lot of people. And so, you know, as a freelancer, it's not that easy to work with unemployment. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and basically my whole thing came down has come down to that, you know, bulk of my money comes down to movies existing uh, and not the streaming kind. So if the stuff if theaters are not open and not putting out new movies, like every time tenant gets pushed back, uh, there goes my money basically, you know? And so that's, you know, I hate to start this on a down note, but, but it is the, the the reality kind of thing. And like, I honestly don't even know if tenant would get me back into theaters right now. Like, you know, I, I have other people to worry about and i'm not going to be the guy that ends up being responsible for any kind of transmission because you know because i mean i want like you colin i want the music box to do well i want my my local elk grove cinema to do well and they reopen briefly you know chicago you know got into phase four and we got to open briefly over here and they were playing avengers and ghostbusters and, and stuff like that and clue uh, which we were supposed, Jim was supposed to do a screening hosting of in May, and that got canceled as well, along with all of our other screenings, obviously. But Elk Grove, it was open for two weeks, and they had to close down again, not because, mm. not even because of the virus, because people weren't showing up, which is the whole crux now. It's just like I, you know, no studio wants to be the first to release their movies in this period when there's no guarantee people are going to be showing up. And especially right. if they're, you know, I mean, even if even if everybody wanted to show up, they can't because the like the, the things are roped off. You can only, you know, do twenty five to fifty percent capacity in theaters. Uh, and again, I'm not so worried about the theaters having to do the whether it would be health checks or the cleaning and all this stuff. I I'll, I'll put aside enough trust in that that that's reasonable. It's the other people. Sure. Frankly, yeah. you know, like Colin said, like I, you know, I, I've been, I, I, how many times have we been in a theater on a normal year and walked in and we're all by ourselves and then someone comes and sits right in front of us or next or behind us, you know, the like, entire theater 
and they want to sit by someone and like that's I, I I can't deal with that right now so so yeah so I'm stuck here uh, you know hoping that a vaccine comes basically yeah I feel I feel the same way and I just I, I mean can would you go see tenant at the drive-in if it opens up yeah the drive-in yeah the drive-in I would probably uh, yes I would probably do that yeah I think I would too yes um, because although you know, you know, the quarter part of the fun for me in the driving is actually going to the concession stand and getting stuff. I just, I, you know, I, I like you know being able to load up, but at the same time, you pack a cooler, you bring your own popcorn, you know, your own candy, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, that's always that's always a big appeal of the driving. So yeah, if that was if that was happening, yeah, I, that would be the, the first place I would go to see it. Only place I'd go to see it. Except online, of course. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think Nolan's going to do that. <laughs> nope. nope. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. No. But I was just going to say, like, I, I, I feel okay with watching a good majority of new releases at home, having you know a decent 4K TV. Uh, but then again, yeah, like something like Tenant. Oh man, I I w- much prefer to see that on the big screen when it comes out. Sure. But also, you're you're right. I don't want to risk my health or other people's health either. And uh, I don't. I just don't know what the experience would be like. I don't know if people would come out in droves all of a sudden because it's a new release, uh, and that would make me worried. If you know, even if there are restrictions, like at a place like the Music Box, still um, you would encounter other people. But I don't know. I th- I think at this point you're right. I think waiting is it's better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, and we're going to be playing it safe for a long time apparently. So, uh it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what transpires during award season and and all that stuff. I mean, that's all superficial. Yeah, no that's all superficial she's, she's stuff, but <laughs> yeah, but but <laughs> but uh but you know there there's a part of us as as members of a of a movie, you know, you know as a Chicago Film Critics Association that, you know, wants to keep things as normal as possible in the in the context of all of this and uh but it's going to be it's going to look a lot different it's going to feel a lot different and it's the 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 movies that we are getting to see right now uh it's 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 so weird not having summer blockbusters right now you know like these big muscular explosion movies like we're not we, the, the there's nothing like that in the landscape at the moment and it and like that's kind of what I've been having an appetite for at home. Like I've just been kind of wanting to watch yeah, yeah, yeah. like this is like doing this, doing this, uh, you know, prepping for Spielberg has been a, kind of fun because like I, I'm actually enjoying going back and watching a lot. You know, uh, there, there are four of these movies that I watched that were like, oh, man, it feels like summer again. This is, you know, mm-hmm. even even though some of these movies aren't like top tier Spielberg, it still feels good to watch something meant uh to be seen with a big bucket of popcorn next to you you know it, it's like it's so weird not having that right now and i know a lot of I'm, film enthusiasts are like well it's good man we don't need all that marvel crap well you know what i kind of like it you know it's it's okay you yeah. know it's like i kind of miss it you know and yeah that's uh, what the summer is all about i have a feeling yeah. next summer i mean everything's back on track that 
critics, even the, the harshest ones, are going to be a little easier on some of these movies mm-hmm. next year. You know, and then the next year they'll be back to hating them all again. But you know, like, yeah. next year it'll be like, <laughs> oh, you know. You know, so for now, uh, before we get to our, our wonderful new discussion on uh, on this indie darling Steven Spielberg that very few people have heard of, uh, we're going to do the uh, what we watch segment to see if we've watched anything cool recently. What movies do we watch this week? Watch this week. What movies do we watch this week? Watch this week. What movies do we watch this week? Jukebox money. Jukebox money. The jukebox money. Let's go ahead and, and, and get started with that. Uh, Colin, we'll start with you. What have you seen recently? Well, it's been, I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm on a steady diet of Spielberg, obviously, and, um, and 1991 movies. I'm, I've already started my <laughs> research on that just because it, because it makes it so much easier when you're at home. You're like, I don't know what to watch. I don't know what to watch. Let's see what's coming. Let, let's see a 1991 movie. And then that, then it narrows my choices, which I always need. So I'm trying to find something that's not that to talk about, something I didn't talk about on our latest, latest episode of, of Christmas movies, actually, which is also coming out this week. So I don't want to repeat anything. So I'm going to repeat something that we talked about a couple of years ago. I think it was a couple of years ago. Maybe it was 1990. I don't. Oh, man. Let me hold on. Let me just. Sorry. You can cut this out. Okay. So it was 1989. Um, you talked about it very briefly on your Peter Weir episode when you guys were talking about Joel Schumacher. I showed Carrie uh, the movie Cousins uh, a few weeks ago. Um, oh, yeah. You is, guys. You guys talked about this for sure. Yeah. When we yep. did that. A retrospective yeah. and it's still something I'm going to catch up with soon. And it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now and I'm, I'm very disappointed that it got very few mentions when people started writing their uh, obits on Joel Schumacher because it's his best movie. I mean, it is like I I love this movie. It, it holds up beautifully. Um, it's Ted Danson, Isabella Rossellini, uh, William Peterson, and Sean Young, uh, and Lloyd Bridges. And it's basically three weddings and a funeral. It's basically, it, it, yes. it's, it's, it covers like a year in the life of these people as uh, uh, Ted Danson and Isabella Rossellini start to form this really beautiful friendship relationship. And they eventually they just kind of all out fall in love and their spouses are also cheating, you know, cheating basically not really just having like empty sex behind their backs. And it's kind of, you know, we follow these couples throughout a year. Uh, Lloyd Bridges plays Ted Danson's dad and he's uh, trying to make his moves on, on a woman who's recently widowed, who is also in the family. And it's just, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's got such a real, it, it, it has a really witty script. Um, it's, uh, and, and also just beautifully insightful to the characters. Uh, Ted Danson and Isabella Rossellini have wonderful chemistry together. You really believe their, their relationship, uh, their evolution of them falling in love with each other. They have both have such a zest for life uh, that you, that is kind of intoxicating and, on the on the flip side of that, the William Peterson Sean Young stuff is also really good because they have a different kind of dynamic altogether um, that is based on you know lust and and sex, but then it's Sean Young's character is trying to be find a spiritual part of herself while she's 
very much a materialistic person and she's struggling with that. And William Peterson is kind of trying to save his marriage, but at the same time can't help being, you know, a, a lying, cheating, you know, dickhead. But, uh, but I don't know. There, there's just something, uh, every scene has a, has a little surprise in it, in it. Um, Ted Danson's, uh, performance, I think is wonderful. Like you really got to get the sense that he should have been in a musical, like, you know, he, he knows how to act with his, with his whole body. Um, and Isabella Rossellini's never been cuter, never been more adorable. Um, and I don't know. I, I've, I'm, I'm such a big fan of this movie and I, I wish more people would see it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those that just, I think Paramount really blew it. I think they could have, uh, had something in the award season with this movie, but they released it in like January or February instead. And, and then it was kind of forgotten about pretty quickly. And, uh, it's too bad. Cause I think this is, this is a really wonderful movie and people should seek it out. Amen. I will. I will finally watch it. It's been way too long. I keep putting it off and I'm like, the more I hear about it, especially after, you know, uh, he passed, it's like, oh yeah, obviously this is, it sounds like one of his gems and, you know, he's, he definitely had an inconsistent filmography sure. and, uh, you know, there's certain, there's certain titles on there that I'm, I want to rewatch and see if they hold up. I know Sergio is a big fan of eight millimeter, but I remember thinking <laughs> not too much on that one. But I might watch it again. Film. If, if, if you enjoy a kind of a, an unrelenting nastiness kind of kind of thing that kind of re- kind of, you know, blankets itself in that the entire way while still kind of <laughs> winking at you like we know how how absurd this is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with kind of I'm with Sergio on that one. But um, as Colin mentioned with Cousins, it, it's it's really kind of disconcerting, like kind of like the state of film criticism. These days that after Joel Schumacher passed, like Colin said, you didn't hear a lot of mentions of Cousins, but all of a sudden people are reevaluating the Batman movies. Hmm. Yeah. And it's like all of a sudden Batman and Robin is like the new Hocus Pocus. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, what? what? stop it. Like, just stop it. You know, mm-hmm. just, you, you can, you can he, he's gone and you can acknowledge that he made some bad movies. Okay, just why don't why focus on why don't try to turn a negative into a positive. Just focus on the positive. It's easy. It's pretty easy. You learn that pretty early in Mm -hmm. life. Yeah, Uh, I kind of I kind of did that when we lost uh, when we lost Tony Scott. I kind of did the same thing where I was like, yeah, he's made some some pretty crummy movies, but let's focus on the ones that, you know, were great. Very much so. Also, Eric, what have you seen? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was just yeah, going to say ahead. one last thing. Also, uh, got to say, Angela Badalamenti's score on Cousins will stay Great. in your head for a long time. It's so damn yeah. good. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, I'm done now. I'm definitely going to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right, Eric, your turn. Uh, so are we supposed to go positive here? <laughs> It doesn't. You don't have to. It's probably the last thing that I saw. It took me three viewings to get through it, uh, and <laughs> I'll, I'll mention that at the end. It'll, you know, there'll be a little tease there. But uh, but I did finally uh, watch something that everyone's been watching uh, live for uh, many years now, and I have not heard any of the oh, songs. Boy. I had not uh, really followed. I mean, I knew of the phenomenon, obviously, but I was not a part of it. And uh, now I am because I finally watched Hamilton on uh, on Disney. Never well, heard of it. You never heard of it, huh? Yeah. No. Um, it's, it's, it's got some striking similarities to what we're going to be talking about uh, today. 
but you know, I was, you know, the, the, it, it's two hours and 40 minutes long. Uh, and I got the first hour and 20, 25 minutes before the, the intermission, uh, are, are every bit the hype that you've probably heard, uh, about this thing. I mean, I was just engorged in it. The songs were great. The, 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 the performances were wonderful. Um, they did a pretty nice job, uh, filming the, the, the stage performance to give it a, a little extra life and whatnot. Um, I do have to say, I, I you know, a lot of people, you know, I got like to the intermission and some, you know, I, I said, I think I said something on Twitter and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, oh my God, first half. And they're just like, the second half's even better. And I wish they hadn't said that because I prefer the first half. Um, <laughs> because I got, I don't know, I got to the second half and it just like, maybe it just started to wane on me a little bit. Like, I think the, I think the first half in the setup is far more dynamic uh, and interesting than the sort of the, the, the follow through uh, in the back half. Cause that's when it gets into like scandals and uh, you know, eventually the, the outcome of the, the Hamilton legacy and everything. Um, and not that it's not that it's bad. It's, it's still quite good. And, and the songs are very memorable, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, a, 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 I'm not really a convert because I was, didn't really have any opinion one way or the other. On, on the entire experience, but uh, I, I get it. I, I understand it now. So uh, it's weird that I would choose a film performance of a stage uh, <laughs> production, <laughs> but uh, that's, I haven't seen a lot of great stuff that I hadn't already seen in quarantine. I mean, you know, Palm Springs is out there now on Hulu, which I can't recommend highly enough. So good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. good. Yep. Um, I was, you know, a bit disappointed with King of Staten Island, uh, and even more so with the John Stewart film. Uh, so it's like some of the new stuff has not really been ringing my bell too much, especially Netflix's The Old Guard with Charlie's Theron, that everyone decided to anoint as, you know, oh, Charlie's Theron could do anything. Like, yeah, but you know, the movie around her doesn't. So yeah, it took it took me three viewings to get through the old guard, and it, it is as generic as it gets. Uh, it, it, it really it really makes you long for the first Highlander movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know it's 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 interesting that like I always for some reason, and it's not because like I'm uh, I'm going to be a contrarian or whatever, but it's. It's t- I haven't seen Hamilton yet, and I know it's like a part of the cultural zeitgeist right now. I'm going to watch it. Without a doubt, I'm going to watch it. It's just one of those things I keep putting off. I mean, it took me forever to watch something like The Sopranos. And once I finally did, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> so it's not just like well, I'm procrastinating on it, but maybe the, 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 the length and the fact that I would have loved to have seen it live, um, you know, like those those elements alone you know, sort of have caused me to just be like, eh, I'll get to it, you know, but at the same time, it's just, it's something that everybody's talking about. So I, I want to be a part of that conversation and, you know, whether I love it or not, we'll see, but I'm, it's something that I'm very curious about. It makes for an interesting well, I point remember, too. Like, would you, yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, so I was just going to say that it makes for kind of an interesting choice too would you rather see a filmed version of the stage production with the original cast or would you rather see uh the second team live mm. you know that's you know i mean that's that's how i saw book of mormon not to, not to discourage the second team or anything like that but uh you know i mean the, the original when you, you know you get that album of the 
cast performance is always the original group. So, like, which one? Which one would you prefer? Yeah, I, I I remember when uh, Hamilton was you know big. Uh, I mean, it still is, but when uh, people, my friends, were starting to see it and um, encouraging me to go, but they encouraged me to like listen to the soundtrack first because they the the dialogue and the the singing is so fast you're not going to be able to keep up and so when i you know i never did go see it live but I, they said you know that'll help if you listen to the soundtrack first and you'll know what's go- more of what's going on um and so when i watched hamilton on disney plus that was my first time watching it in any capacity and uh we had the air conditioner blowing so i had to turn the subtitles on and I figured, well, this is actually the same way I would have listened to the soundtrack, except I'm also watching it, but I got the subtitles on. And it really does help to have them on so I can like kind of keep up with the pace and everything. Uh, and I'm not getting overwhelmed. And so I want to watch it again without the subtitles on and really get the experience of it. Because I feel like I something was like, I, I feel like I, I really enjoyed it, but I felt like cut off from the uh, the the experience of really uh, watching it and, and immersing myself in it um, than I would have if I didn't have to have the damn subtitles on. But uh, so uh, so two viewings, I think, is what I'm getting at. Is like might, <laughs> might be helpful. I don't know. I watch it with the subtitles too, Colin. So don't you know? Don't fret on that. It's because I think it's, yeah. it's better to just have the subtitles on than to have the person you're watching it with go, "What do they say again?" And you have to click back yeah. to. You know, and then it then it refreshes, 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 and then oh, oh, we went too far. Oh shit! You know, yeah. (laughs) That I think alone would ruin the experience alone. So uh, the the subtitles, yeah, yeah, very helpful. Yeah, I tend to watch most things now with subtitles on. I, I, it's not because I'm hard of hearing necessarily. I just I I think there are some movies and you know, including a couple by my favorite director, Paul Thomas Anderson, because Joaquin Phoenix likes to mumble. Uh, I, I realized that, you know, when I, when I rewatched inherent vice at home and, uh, put on the subtitles, I was like, Oh, he said that, huh? <laughs> you know, yeah. cause, and even like at a place like the music box, um, sometimes the acoustics can, you know, ha- have an effect on how you hear something. And I think the sound, no, the sound has gotten better at the music box. I think this is like when we saw the master, uh, in 70 millimeter, I think that, uh, even I, I had a hard time making out some things that were said. So I, nowadays I just, it's kind of my default mode and I, I, I actually gotten used to it. So that's probably how I'll, I'll watch Hamilton. I've gotten used to it, but I hate it. I hate having subtitles on <laughs> if I, but I, but I mean, in the summer with the air conditioner blowing, I mean, I got a, it's more often than not, yeah, I've, yeah. I've just sort of like said, all right, fine, I'll turn them on and it does help. But, uh, if, if I can avoid it, I avoid it. Well, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be one of those jerks now that's, it's going to review something that's not out for a couple weeks. Uh, but oh, changing the rules. <laughs> But I had a I had a a very strong response to it, and I want this film to be on people's radar. Uh, and you know, I'm going to talk about it even if no one else has seen it yet. And that would be uh, Amy Simetz's second feature film, "She Dies Tomorrow." Uh, so most folks know that 
Upstream Color is actually in my top five favorite films. I, I love it to death. And when I interviewed uh, Amy Simetz, I didn't want to focus on Pet Cemetery. <laughs> when, we, when we were talking, I was just like, all right, I know I have to promote. Yeah, I have to promote Pet, Pet, Pet Cemetery, but oh, I really just want to talk about all the other incredible work that uh, you know she's done as, as an actress. And she made this little scene gem uh, a few years ago. Maybe like, yeah, I think maybe five years ago or so, but it's called Sun Don't Shine. And it was this really raw sort of Badlands-esque kind of lovers on the run film that I thought was, I thought was really good. I thought it was really strong for a debut. Uh, at the very least, you can tell that she had a, a very singular vision that would, went beyond like kind of the mumblecore indie aesthetic that – you know, she was a part of, of course, with working guy with guys like Joe Swanberg and Adam Wingard and uh, others, because uh, that's she kind of grew up in that crowd, more or less, and acted in a lot of their films. But there was a real like authenticity, and it felt really personal to me when I saw her first film. And this one, I think, is an even bigger step up. It it reminded me a little bit of It Follows, uh, mixed in with what uh, another actress turned director did um, with Amber Tamblin with her film painted black. I think they're very interesting stories. And this one, this one hasn't, this one doesn't have too much of a plot because you're pretty much just following this woman named Amy played by Caitlin Scheel, who basically just has this kind of internal meltdown for like the first 15 minutes. And you're hinted at, she just went through, you know, kind of a, a terrible breakup and she just got this new house and she's living all alone for the first time in a long time. And then that's uh, that night, her friend played by Jane Adams comes over to visit and Amy, Amy simply just tells her friend that she is going to die tomorrow as in Amy is going to die tomorrow. And of course, her friend just thinks, well, she's depressed, she's drunk, she needs counseling, she doesn't really mean what she's saying. But then when her friend, played by Jane Adams, leaves, she becomes infected with that same thought cycle and begins to believe that she is also going to die tomorrow. And then she goes to a small dinner party, and this is all in the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away, um, but she tells everyone her same thought that she's going to die tomorrow. And this thought begins to spread like wildfire to anyone who listens. And it becomes like this curse, this burden, this weird feeling that nobody can seem to shake. Uh, And yet as bleak as that sounds, there is a lot of dark humor sprinkled throughout this movie, Uh, especially once we get to the dinner party, there's just like awkwardness that kind of plays like comedy, but it's also really sad and scary at the same time. Uh, there's a really great encounter with a doctor. There's a very memorable moment involving um, Adam Wingard, who plays this guy who rents dune buggies. Um, so th- there's some really interesting scenes uh, throughout a very bleak premise that uh, I, and then there's even a little bit of Lynch here and there because there's like some blue, white and red lights that people begin to see. And none of this is really explained. It just happens. So, in the end, like for me, when this was over, watching this movie right now feels really strange because it's about anxiety and sharing anxiety and how, you know, it can become its own 
virus, its own plague. Like just you hear about somebody else's anxiety. So you start to feel anxious. So it's kind of like a, an experience of being over empathic that I certainly have felt probably since I was a kid. Like I just take on other people's energy and that sort of thing. And I think right now, especially as a society, we are inundated with content and sad news that we're taking on all this energy. So this movie sort of captures that. So it's a weird movie to watch right now. And it may not be a, you know, a pleasant experience because it, it very, you might very well feel anxious watching it. Um, but in a way, I think this could have been called contagion <laughs> only it's about like a contagion of thought rather than an actual, you know, health scare or a virus. And it's really tight. It's all, it's under 90 minutes and it, I just couldn't shake it. I just thought it was really remarkable. Um, you know, movies that I love are the ones that I really deeply feel. And I just felt a lot watching this. Um, it's it, like, it, it seems to come from somebody who just understands, you know, what a panic attack is or what depression is. And, it really felt uh, surreal <laughs> to watch right now. So I think, I think Simons has become one of the more interesting directors to watch and her latest might be like the film of 2020 for me so far. Uh, I just, I it's, it comes out, I believe the first week of August. Do you know, Eric, I think it August does 7th, I believe. Yeah. I think it comes out on VOD yeah. so everybody can watch it at home yeah. and, uh, I, I kind of want this movie to to reach people if they can see it because prepare yourself though <laughs> it's it's it, it's intense but like I said there are moments where you're laughing because it's intense which is kind of a cool feeling to to have in in this movie um, so yeah I'm on Team Amy Simons for life at this point <laughs> so uh, she made a really remarkable second film. And I believe I believe her first one uh, might be coming out on Criterion. I'm hearing rumors of that that Sun Don't Shine might become a Criterion film. So I I hope that happens. Yeah, this was this was the movie you were talking about. It was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest, and that got sabotaged obviously by what's going on. Um, one, it, I think it's great because we need another film about anxiety. I think that's wonderful. Uh, and, and, uh, and I also, you know, by the same time, it makes me sad, too, because I think this would have been playing at the music box in, say, like early May, possibly. I would have loved that. Yeah, I think that uh, might have happened, considering who picked it up mm. and everything. So, it, uh, mm. yeah, just we're just just completely just this is where we're at, folks. So, yep. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think if you're a fan of it follows, it's it kind of has that same tone going through it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it, it's I mean, I guess you can call it a psychological horror film of sorts. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really something and, and, and just crazy to, to watch right now because, yeah, we're all feeling similar feelings of, of dread. <laughs> no, heard great things. Heard great things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody check it out. And I think uh, at this point, I'm excited. I'm ready to move on to talk about this director that nobody knows about. Uh, very underrated. S Steven Spielberg. Let's do it. Spielberg is a great director. We can watch his movies. Spielberg, baby. Spielberg, baby. Spielberg. Spielberg, Steven Spielberg.
Jaws and Close Encounters, ETA I'm Munich, Bridges, Fuzz, and Lincoln. He knows what he's doing. And again, and again, and again, and again. Spielberg, baby. I'm really looking forward to talking with you both this time for uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one of which I guess is inevitable maybe to some degree, but he, he has definitely gone up over time for me as, as now being a favorite director. The more I watch, the more I rewatch, the more I respect his craftsmanship. And, you know, certainly you watch something like, you know, even that, that Spielberg documentary that came out through HBO was pretty minor. There's just a lot, like a lot I didn't realize, like I didn't realize how personal his films were. And I mean, obviously you can tell, with what he's gone through, you know, with, with, um, you know, like divorce and father son issues and things like that. Those are obvious themes that pop up time and time again. Uh, but he's just, he's an intelligent filmmaker that also knows how to entertain when telling a story. He finds that right balance almost every time, but (laughs) we're also talking about post Munich Spielberg which quite possibly might be, you know, his weakest stretch, particularly when he caters to a younger audience. Um, you know, and and it's it's tough because like there there are definitely high points that we're going to get to, and certainly the first film we're going to talk about, I think, is one of them. Um, but at the same time, there's 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 just some things that I think are are, are pretty messy, and we're going to get to that too. Um, Obviously, we can touch on titles, you know, that are pre-Munich, you know, if, if there are apt comparisons or parallels or themes that, you know, sort of tie together. Uh, but at the same time, I, I like I said, I think it gets a little messy right from the start with Crystal Skull and then uh, the BFG. So it's almost like we're back in hook territory here and there. Um and, and yet on the flip side, we have something like Lincoln or Bridge of Spies or even Warhorse, where his strengths are very prominent and he seems far more invested in the material. Um, but yeah, I mean, like overall, I, I just I'm excited to talk about these these particular films and, you know, what stands out for you guys. Uh, we can just sort of just get some general thoughts before we launch into our official reviews on Lincoln. Um, Eric, let's start with you. Like your general thoughts on this period well, of Spielberg. Period, when, as you were describing it there, you know, looking, just looking at the titles on the list, this is probably the period of Spielberg's career where, uh, as probably even the biggest Spielberg apologist amongst us, uh, this, this is the period where I probably have the most three star Spielberg movies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, surprisingly enough, Crystal Skull is not one of those. Uh, but, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's hard for me to completely dislike a Spielberg movie. It's it, it's a it's my own uh, curse to bear. Uh, but there but there are spots here where he is. I don't, I don't know. Not want to say his heart definitely isn't in it. Like the BFG, which I think might be his weakest film. Uh, at least the film that I personally didn't get involved in the most. I don't think no. that you can watch that film and say that his heart isn't in it. I think he was making the movie he definitely wanted to make. I just don't think that there's as much to that story as there are in other Roald Dahl films. And that agreed, agreed. Like that. Yeah. So I, I mean, like I think he's giving everything to uh, that movie. Uh, I just think that the, the adaptation kind of fails him and in, in, in going a little bit further with things, but. 
uh, the, you know, the stuff that surrounds it, some of the things that we're going to be talking about. Um, and I, I, I can say the same thing about Tintin as well. I mean, him doing an animated film like that for the, you know, for the first time, uh, I think it's the screenplay that uh, tends to fail him. I don't think the screenplay is as interesting as the visuals and the, the set pieces that he puts together, particularly the, the final chase sequence, which is just uh, magnificent. Uh, but I, but there, there I, and it's, but it's also weird too, because I think that the screenplays then become major strengths in the, the films of this period that are, uh, you know, amongst some of the more interesting films of his career. One we're going to be talking about at length, obviously, uh, you know, even ready player one, which I, I watched again, uh, for the first times, uh, it, it, it since, uh, I saw it at the premiere, uh, during this quarantine, and had and had a real, real good time with Ready Player One. It's just a, a, a great, uh, fun popcorn movie. Uh, I think there are some a couple elements of the screenplay. If they expanded upon a little bit more, um, it could have gotten a, kind of an extra half star out of me. But uh, still, incredibly fun. So yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I think it's I don't even think considered like Spielberg is losing any of his tricks or his edge or anything like that. Um, as you might say with certain films uh, throughout his career, like Hook or maybe even Lost World. Uh, but he, I mean, he's still giving it his all. I, I don't, I don't watch any of these movies and think that uh, he's not uh, putting himself okay. into no, these I, movies. I, I can, I can, I can buy can. most of that. We'll get to, we'll get to ready player one, which, uh, don't necessarily a hundred percent agree with, but we'll get there. Uh, Colin, what do you, what would you say about this period of, of Spielberg's career? Yeah, I, I don't have too much more to add to that. I agree with, with much of what you guys are saying. And, um, yet it's easy to look at, you know, uh, something like Tintin or, or BFG on a first viewing and think, man, I didn't, really connect with it and i think maybe spielberg didn't either um it's easy to have that reaction to on the first viewing but then you give it another look and it's obvious i i think he like i agree with eric i think his heart is definitely in everything that he's doing um and you can tell because of the ingenuity that's on the screen and and the the innovative um techniques that he's using to like Eric mentioned the chasing at the end of Tintin. It's fantastic. It's amazing. And you think, man, the, the, the amount of uh, imagination and planning and choreography and, you know, uh, that went into that, um, that's not something you just phone in, you know, <laughs> or even like BFG, which I watched last night again, uh, my first viewing since seeing it in the theater there's so much complicated stuff in that movie uh, visually, like yeah. uh, so many trick shots that you uh, just boggles the mind how they pulled it off. You know, you got us, uh, you know, you have to deal with the scale of a giant who is, uh, which is a mocap performance uh, versus in the same frame with a, with a little kid who is a real human performance. And, the timing of every shot and the interaction between those two. And then all these other, other, maybe there's other giants and the cameras moving around and, you know, doing all these elaborate, uh, you know, during an elaborate chase scene or action scene with these giants and this little kid. And like, you just kind of watch it go, man, 
he he put a lot into this. Unfortunately, like Eric said, it's the adaptation itself that's a problem because he is uh, he is he is sticking to the material to a fault. The mm-hmm. material doesn't make for a good movie. Uh, Wes Anderson had the right idea when he adapted Fantastic Mr. Fox to change things up and to make it more of a movie experience um, and because Roald Dahl's literature is so it's so fragmented. It's so, it's so whimsical um, that it's easy to get lost in that whimsy and not make a human connection with it. Um, And I think that's kind of where Spielberg and Melissa Matheson, who wrote the screenplay for BFG kind of followed up um, by just, you know, treating the original text as sacred and should not be messed with when in fact, no, they should have messed with it a little bit. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's mixed in with uh, so movies like that are mixed in with all these like really uh, you know um, prestigious projects that you know one of which was just made on the fly, the post, and uh, you watch that and you think, man, it doesn't look like it was rushed. <laughs> it looks pretty like studied and uh, you know and very well thought out and and beautifully written and acted and everything. It just but it's like no, I made that while I was in post-production on ready player one. Oh, okay <laughs> you know it's like well you brought your a game to that too man uh it so he hasn't lost his you know edge or whatever you know he hasn't lost his touch at all um it's just being filtered out through you know so many different kinds of projects and with varying degrees of success but he's still making the movies he wants to make and uh i think it's pretty thrilling to watch even even when the even when it's a failure, I think it's a pretty thrilling thing to watch a director still take risks and take chances. No, I definitely I definitely agree with that. I think you know, but in some cases, like with something like that uh, that sequence in Tin Ten or the BFG, I would be more interested in watching like the making of or you know how all of this was put together more than the actual film itself, which is you know kind of a drag and it's 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 not it might just be like, yeah, I'm not connecting with the material or these characters, but yet I'm still in awe of the visuals or I'm still in awe of an action sequence. And I think that's exactly what Spielberg brings to the table. He, he, he I would, yeah, I wouldn't say he ever half asses anything, but in, in like certain cases, I just don't get that same, like, you know, human connection. And I guess maybe in some cases you're not supposed to, but I remember, it was similar, like when I saw that that uh, Wrinkle in Time movie. It was, I, I felt like the same when I was watching the BFG. I'm like, this should really click with me because I I really love the source material, or I at least love the the the, the combination of whimsy and creepy that you know someone like Roald Dahl does so beautifully that I should be into this, right? Like I should be into this, like I am with the witches or something, but I. I can't, I just, I don't feel anything during that experience. But at the same time, I'm like, how did he do that? Look at this amazing shot. How these effects are incredible. So, you know, but like, I always went back to saying Zemeckis was always a filmmaker that connected with me more because he, he seemed to find that right balance of technical wizardry, amazing special effects and action sequences and, on top of it was able to move me with a lot of his movies, you know, I mean, you could say, I I wouldn't say that about something like death becomes her, but you know, there are certain movies where I'm just like, he managed to do it all 
in one movie. And I wouldn't say that's the case for every Spielberg movie, but certainly in this period, I felt that a little bit more where I was like, okay, this is great to watch, but at the same time, I'm not like emotionally involved. Uh, but that's not the case for the first film that we're going to talk about at length. Cause I think Lincoln might be the best Spielberg film made during this period. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to say like it's absolutely 100% flawless either, because much like the ending of uh, Bridge of Spies, I truly felt he could have ended both of these movies at much better moments that would have left even more of an impact, at least for me. Like there's a shot, you know, on the bridge at the end of Bridge of Spies that I think is just stunning. And if you fade out, perfect. And then there's a moment in Lincoln, you know, as he's walking away that I'm screaming, end it here, end it here. And it'd be perfect but he doesn't. So, you know, like I, I feel like he could just, you know, do spend a little more time in the editing room with uh, both of those films. And they're, they're, they're damn near perfect. Um, but yeah, like, and, and there are a couple of moments in Lincoln where the score is raised. And I know that's like, a, like a criticism that, you know, a lot of people have said about a lot of Spielberg's films, but I just feel like it's unnecessary here and there, especially during like Tommy Lee Jones's speech, um, and I also don't know if the inclusion of Joseph Gordon-Levitt was completely necessary, but it doesn't bother me that it's in there. Uh, so, I, I mean, really, other than that, I just I do think this is one of the more entertaining slices of time and history that I just I go back to. And I'm amazed by this screenplay. I think it's one of the best scripts uh, of the last 10 years or so. I could watch an entire spinoff movie with those three lobbyists, uh, particularly James Spader, who I think mm-hmm. is having a great time. Um, and I also, I, I completely forgot that Adam Driver has a very small role. So like, I was like, Oh, I didn't know he was in this too. And I think maybe when I saw it, I just thought of him like, Oh, that's just the guy from girls. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you walk away from this feeling inspired and, clearly this is the Daniel day Lewis show and much like there will be blood. I I love going back to this just to see his performance and just to see how much uh, Spielberg gets out of this story and how fascinating he makes politics in this movie. Uh, And, you know, it's like, I can't like, you know, my mom could care less about politics, but she was riveted when we, when we rewatched, when I, we watched this together and had questions and was like, Oh, you know, genuinely interested and invested in this story. So, um, I'm glad we're, we're starting off on such a high note because for me, Lincoln is, yeah, it's, it's upper tier Spielberg all the way. Okay. Whoever wants to go next, go. Um, I'll go. Sure. Yeah. I, th- I think this, I think Lincoln is, uh, is an extraordinary movie because it is what you're, it, it, first of all, it, it's a meeting of three very <laughs> amazing talents. You got Tony Kushner's writing, Daniel day Lewis's acting Spielberg's directing, like what a package. Um, and it's all, and everybody's at the top of their of their game in this, and it all comes through beautifully. It's a really um, loving snapshot of this part of history, which um, is actually you know kind of a dark period of history, but it's also uh, infused with enough light that you get a sense that of of real hope and uh, and change. Sorry, um, that is at stake here. Um, I think that 
you're right in that the the that movie should have ended where it should have ended. I think um, I don't think the movie is really building up to Lincoln's death. It's building up to this piece of legislature that you know is the subject of the film, um, and once it's what you, you really get a sense of, as they say in Hamilton, uh, what goes on the room where it happens and the sort of the, the infighting and the factions that sort of break break apart while everybody's trying to achieve the same thing. Um, and you just get a sense of American politics at work and what a, mess it can be and well how gratifying it can be for the people who are fighting for things that need to be fought for 24 7 and uh and and lincoln himself is being the figure that kind of draws everybody in because he had a love for it and uh i think daniel day lewis's performance sometimes daniel day lewis can really i mean obviously you know disappear into character but also in in movies that can be a little cold to the touch um and lincoln in the hands of spielberg makes lincoln somebody who is very warm and engaging and inviting and, and daniel day lewis brings that as well and uh it's it's kind of it it's it, it's it's a it's a strong movie through and through it's about, and it's a good two and a half hours. I will say by the end of the movie, I'm pretty monologued out, you know, <laughs> like I can, like uh, that was a lot of monologues in that film. They're all great. They're all awesome. Like I love it. But at the end, I'm just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, Janusz Kaminski's uh, cinematography of, of course is really exquisite. The art direction, you really get a sense of the time. It, it's not too slick. It's not too polished. It's really dirty and grungy uh, where it needs to be. And uh, yeah, this is, this is definitely one of, one of Spielberg's strongest films. Yeah, this is, I mean, without question, this is the best film of this period of Spielberg that we're, we're talking about. It was, it was my number one film of that year. And I've thought about, uh, a lot over the years if I, maybe I was my personal bias towards Spielberg pushed that movie uh, to the number one spot. Uh, it's not a movie that I've revisited a lot over the years. I've watched it a couple times uh, and watched it again recently before we, 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 we taped this. Um, but the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And when you watch this movie in this particular political climate, um, it's not that much different from the last political climate and the last one. And it really kind of shows you that, you know, people are just like, well, it didn't start with Trump, you know, go back to nine 11. I'm like, yeah, but it actually was going on a lot longer than that. And you could look at Lincoln, then you could go back and look at Hamilton. Uh, so, I mean, this, this stuff has been going on for so many years. And even though the movie is called Lincoln, it, it could have just as easily been just called politics because this movie, I think, maybe better than any film I can think of, at least at this moment, really gives you an idea of what the business of politics is really like. And the, the, the simple answer of that is that it's dirty. Uh, and that what Lincoln had to do, uh, you know, this is you know based on a book by uh, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, right? Team of Rivals. Um, and, it really goes to show you that even, you know, the, even your best intentions 
uh, have to get a little muddy at times that, uh, you know, these lobbyists that were being sent out to secure these votes, that you had to promise them things. You had to give them concessions. You had to promise them positions. You had to do things for them to make them do the right thing. And it's really, it's scary. It's sad. It's infuriating when you watch that. It's done in kind of a cheeky way throughout the movie, but there's a real underlying dirtiness to all of it that you have to give people something to make them do what is, is, you know, consider should be the right thing. And we're still not over it today. You know, we're, we're finally removing Confederate flags from army bases, you know, (laughs) military bases, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, I thought the other day, it's just like, you know, like would the rebels from star Wars have the empire's flag around and say like, well, that's part of their culture. Like, no, you get rid of them. You know, you or put them in a museum or whatever. It's just, it, it's, it's so. It belongs in a museum. Yeah, you go. <laughs> um, it's so ridiculous when, when you stop to think about it. And this movie really, again, gives you a Kushner's screenplay is, is really exquisite, really putting you into some of those debates without necessarily shoving them in your face. You're just like, here, no, this is what was, this is what they were fighting for. This is what this amendment's about this is why these people opposed it because these people were not seen as people they were seen as you know a part of the economy and stuff uh so there there are so many elements to this and yes i'm in partial agreement with you guys as far as you know there would have been a man- magnificent last shot to see lincoln walking out his front door going to the play uh, because we all know what's going to happen. But at the same time, I've thought about that a lot over the years. Samuel Jackson actually had a big rant about uh, not wanting to see Lincoln shot. He wanted it ended on the same uh, element. And I think I think there's almost no way to win with that. If you, you do it on the exquisite last shot, it you know, it makes us happy. But people go like, oh, why didn't you show the, you know, the, the assassination? Well, he doesn't show the assassination. He right. showed, you know, we think we're, he, we're going to see it. For a moment, we were, well, then we're in another theater, and then we just see him, you know, dead on his bed. Uh, but I, but I think there's there's something necessary about a scene that he was killed. You know, it's, it's one thing to see him go off into the sunset and give him give us sort of that searchers shot of America. It's another to realize that even for all the good that was done at this period uh, and in this film, that he paid his life for it, and so how many have continually paid their lives over the years because some people can't get on board with the idea that all men are created equal. Uh, and, uh, you know, even Tom Lee Jones, you know, you mentioned the monologuing, you know, Colin, there's, there's a whole sequence in the movie where Tom Lee Jones's uh, Senator actually goes against his own belief in a way to make it like that. Um, to saying that, you know, uh, you know, blacks at the time, were not equal to whites, but equal under were granted equal protection under the law. Uh, sure. and he's criticized for that. And he's just like, look, I know what the outcome of this, the outcome of this is going to be much greater than anything that I compromise while we're trying to get there. The end result is the thing, not the compromise. And that's, that's the thing about politics. That's I think eludes a lot of people who just see you know, everyone wants to be progressive, progressive, and that's great. You know, it's all, it's a, it's a great thing to want to want to be that, but a lot of it's unrealistic if you don't 
compromise. And the compromise sucks sometimes. Uh, and I don't like it either. But you have to be realistic to that fact. And I think that's where, where this movie succeeds so well. And uh, and the monologuing doesn't, you know, I don't think it really bothered you, Colin. I, I agree. <laughs> There's a lot of monologues. It's not that it bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not criticizing it for being overly monologue yeah. or anything. I mean, that is that was Lincoln. You know, that was yeah. that was the time. That's how you communicated. But but like but just by the end of the movie, I was I was tired. Was and, you know, great, that's all that uh, Bruce McGill. Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> he says, like, no, I will not listen to another story. You're going to tell a story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a great, great. story. Right. The Lincoln and the it's, a, it's a humorous point in the film uh but it, it, it watching this movie again it reminded me you know we talked we've mentioned spielberg's visuals so often that he's so often known for but he really likes language he really likes when you know when, when a mm-hmm. screenwriter and you can go back all the way you can go back to jaws and the way he pushes in on people giving these monologues and you know having these these big moments and whatnot he's so good at that he's he really is in love with people having interesting things to say uh, absolutely and that's that, what i'm drawn towards yeah, too. yeah. And that's why i wish that you know some of these screenplays for some of his lesser work so to speak uh you know had a he was like he was given a little bit more he's like i'm gonna put my all in this but you know the screenwriter could help him out a little bit more so yeah no i i definitely agree i think it was interesting that you know a couple people had certain expectations of what a spielberg lincoln movie was going to be yeah and i think i think um, w- one person I talked to was like, there's a little bit too much levity for such a serious, you know, historical moment. And also I just, I, I guess I was expecting, you know, a little more insight to the man and his history. And I'm like, well then th- that would have been a traditional biopic. And this, and this is adapted from a, a book that is basically about what made him such a, a political genius. That's kind of the, the subtitles, like the political genius of Abraham Lincoln and I think that that focusing on that is is every bit as compelling as it would be to learn more about you know where he came from and his history. And I think I I, I do think that like maybe the the Joseph Gordon Levitt stuff, if you cut that out, it, it it wouldn't hurt the movie. But I like I said, I don't mind that it's there either. But I, you know, like I think, but that that serves that, that gives you some context and insight into the man, and certainly like the trauma he's experienced with his wife losing, you know, a child and everything. So I think there's, there's a a nice balance of everything that you would want more or less, you know, but I think his choice to just focus on the political angle made it more compelling. And I think Tony Kushner did a fantastic job of adapting, I guess like a near a hundred thousand page book that I, I, I'm sure even has more material that would be a, great to see and it, and it feels like a play you know and i i like that i like that experience i mean it's still cinematic but it does feel like you know like you're mentioning with the monologues there's just a lot of dialogue and a lot of people talking but because it's so interesting it's never boring and and also to, to mention spielberg's eye for casting is, mm-hmm. is just i mean this movie is ridiculous how many people are in this movie? I mean, you mentioned Adam Driver shows up in a small but kind of crucial role uh, in a, a crucial scene, at least. The, the, maybe the role's not as crucial. But you mentioned the, the, the three lobbyists, James Spader, John Hawks, Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, that's a movie in and of itself. Uh, Davis Strathern, 
you know, great Hal Holbrook, uh, Jackie Earl Haley shows up. Bruce McGill, we mentioned Jared Harris shows up. Um, uh, Walton Goggins <laughs> shows up. Uh, the, the, the very first scene with Lincoln, that very first scene with Lincoln, the two uh, black soldiers, one of them, David Oyelowo, who goes on to play Martin Luther, Martin Luther King. Right, and right. The other, and the other one is uh, an actor named Coleman Domingo, who is really coming into his own now. He's, he was in, uh, the, he was the father in If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, yeah. The father, you know, and he's, uh, he's he's got some other movies that are, that are on tap. Uh, and then the two white soldiers are Lucas Haas and Dane DeHaan. Uh, Jeremy Strong, who's now on Succession, is in the movie. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg <laughs> is in the movie, has the, the most pronounced gay <laughs> moment uh, during the thing. Uh, this this movie is crazy. Bill Camp uh, shows up as the guy that really puts a spin on why uh, people don't want that amendment to go down. Uh, it, it's just, it's a, it's a remarkable, there's a, there's something at every turn in this movie. And like you said, because it, it's so interesting, it's never boring. Yeah. I also wonder what it would be like to see a, a mini series version of this. I mean, I don't know if that would just make it go on too long, but because it's so interesting, I, I actually wouldn't mind more of this world and, you know, spending time with all these people and seeing what they go through politically speaking. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny too. Like my mom's only criticism was like, wow, we really jumped ahead right after, you know, the, you know, the amendment is passed and everything and just sort of like, Oh, yep. He gets shot the end by, <laughs> you know, and like, I don't know if you stretch that out and it would make it more interesting of a final act at all, but, uh, I mean, because obviously he's led such an incredibly interesting life, both before and after. Um, but I'm like I said, I'm just happy with how this is, period. So, yeah, I took a um, I, I had to take a uh, American government class this summer uh, as oh part boy. of my degree. And what a time to take an American government class, man, um, especially when the especially that week when all those Supreme Court rulings were coming in and saying, no, it, it went the opposite of what Trump wanted. So uh, that provided a lot of great discussion, uh, uh, you know, moments. And one thing that we that I took away from this class was that. You know, Eric, you mentioned compromising uh, in order to get, you know, certain legislation through and and being realistic. I mean, that's part of what our country is founded on. This country is founded on compromise. Like the Constitution is a compromise. You know, it was all about, um, you know, trying to get out, get out from, uh, you know, under England's shadow. But yet, uh, you know, kind of having to, you know it just wasn't always realistic that way. Um, and so we're still feeling the effects of that compromise, uh, you know, at, even today. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 and I think the movie does such a good job of, of depicting those, those moments that it's, it's kind of like, it should be sobering for people who go back and watch this movie today, who have like high idealism and high, you know, uh, aspirations of what this country should be and what, what should happen. And it should be easier to say, you know, uh, 
you know, to, to, for, for certain laws to, to go through, it just, it feels like common sense, you know, like gun laws, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, should Especially. be a common sense, should be, should be common sense. It should be passed very easily, except it's, you just, it's just not realistic, um, with, so with all the kinds of personalities that are at play in Washington and, uh, around the country and, and lobbyists and, and so on and so forth. And it's just the way our, our government is, is, is rigged, not rigged, but you know, it's just how it works. Um, and, uh, you know, Lincoln is the movie is, is such a, a great reminder of how that works. Um, and Jim, going back to your point about, you know, all the Joseph Gordon Levitt stuff, whether or not it needs to be there. I, 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 I'm, I'm to me, it, it, it falls in line with a recurring theme in Spielberg's work, which is, the role of family in the face of something extraordinary that's happening to the main character and how that character has to like balance family and work or family and, you know, making difficult choices. I mean, you, you, you go back to, uh, you know, close encounters and what happens, Richard Dreyfuss's character in that movie. Um, uh, hook is a little bit of, is, is about that as well. Um, and that's something that Spielberg, dealt with as a kid um and you know is dealing with right now you know as a father had to deal with it you know for being such a a workaholic himself um Mm. and i think that's kind of his personal through line into lincoln or one of the personal through lines into into the story was you know that's i think that's where the joseph gordon levitt stuff comes in i think that stuff probably speaks to spielberg to on another level um and it's more than just a you know a little story point that he threw in there. Yeah, I can buy that. No, that, that, that yeah. makes sense that it's in there. Given Spielberg being Spielberg. <laughs> anyway. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he has, he definitely has his, his, his reoccurring themes, uh, in his films, the father and son stuff, the divorce stuff, like you mentioned. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I pretty much 100% agree with uh, with both of you on on this one, and you know it's it's just proves how complicated and complex uh, passing a law is, and yet makes it so compelling and entertaining. On top of it, I mean that uh, that that moment with Tommy Lee Jones calling out the uh, um, was it Pendleton, I think from Ohio and just like saying, you know, proof that you know, some men are inferior and all that. It, it, it really does. <laughs> yeah. It really, it, it really just like it, it hits home. It, it's, it's, it's still something that I, I still can't believe the, the, you know, we don't have to get too deep into how things are today, but this, I still can't believe that. Well, I just, I just can't believe that the people that are in power are the ones that are in power right now, given their belief system. And, how dim-witted and closed-minded and you know it's it, and it, it proves that okay it, it, it's, it's still going on that these people still get you know elected into into politics and we're expected to like just sit back and go okay well these are the people in charge and they're the ones making all the choices yet their choices are stupid and, and i think you know tommy lee jones his character at that point calls that out and i think that's really it's always it's always going to hit home, I think, 
for for especially now. So yeah, and I, and I think the one we also you know to to expand upon that. I mean, what's going on today is less is less about a belief system and just more about keeping themselves in power. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, you have. I mean, it's like it's like Scarface. You know, first you get the power, you know, you get the money, and you know, and that's what all it's about. I mean, when it comes down to what what you see in the movie, I mean, they're they're arguing that it's going. You know, after the after they pass the amendment, you have that scene with Jackie Earl Haley where they're trying to negotiate terms for ending the war, and it's said like, yeah, we're going to be citizens now, but you're taking away all our money. You're taking mm. away our one commodity, which is slaves. You're taking away our economy. Uh, and that's all they see it as. They don't see them as humans. They don't see it as a right or wrong issue. They see it as what you know, the the traditions, so to speak, has been that they've uh, you know metamorphosized themselves into, uh, and they're they're going to stick to that at all costs. And that's you know when people long for the good old days or make America great again, you know that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the good old days. And, you know, so it's, it's, you know, Republican, you know, and again, you know, it's fun you know, when you watch this movie and you see the two sides of the political <laughs> action and, you know, the, the, the ones where people today like to go like, well, Republicans are the ones that free the slaves. I'm like, yeah, but those aren't the Republicans of today. And those, right. those aren't the Democrats no. today. They, they swapped, you know, they had a good old freaky Friday, uh, you know, throughout history. Uh, so you, you can't, you know, you can't look at this movie and go like, well, the Republicans, you know, they're heroes. Yeah, but they're different today. You know, if you didn't identify the party- one of my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, I guess it's a meme, but uh, says something very similar. It's like trying to say that, you know, Lincoln was, uh, you know, trying to trying to brag that Lincoln was a Republican right. is kind of like bragging that bragging that Nicolas Cage won an Academy Award. Well, technically that's true, but a lot's happened since then. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Right. I mean, I mean, the, just feel free to ignore the Great Depression when the Republicans and Democrats kind of swapped idealism and became uh yeah, just basically uh, just yeah. Um that that's basically what happened. So, yeah. And it's, just, and it's interesting that, you know, if you if the movie had never mentioned the words Republicans or Democrats, how you would watch the movie and whether or not you immediately leap to like, well, clearly these are the Democrats and these are the Republicans. You you, you might even just take it away that stigma and, and, you know, the corners that everyone likes to put, you know, put themselves into and just listen to the arguments. Listen to the right or wrong. You know, people mm-hmm. aren't right because they're Republican or Democrat. They're right because this is the right thing to do. Uh, the common sense thing to do. And, you know, when a majority of the country wants it, it's shameful that a couple people from, you know, a couple smaller, smaller represented states get as much say as, you know, California or New York or Illinois or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's a dirty business. And that's why you just got to vote everybody out. That's, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> let's. let's- Hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> Come November. I, at this point, I don't know. I, yeah, you do. I don't want I, I, listen to me, Jim, just listen to me. It's, it's, you're going you're, you're to be fine. I mean, we might, we, I know I might be broke by then, but you know, the country will be at least a, be in a better place. Phew. But, but or, we, or, remember we hoping for the best, right? preparing for the worst. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's fine. It's, it's good. Yeah. Good to be on, on caution. And to mm-hmm. make sure everybody gets out there to vote, 
Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a rocky ride, but I don't think there's anything to worry about then. I'm worried about between now and January. I'm not worried about the changeover. I'm worried about what happens before the changeover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I'm usually cautiously optimistic about things, but. Oh, he's done. I better be. He's done. Um, or maybe we will just all become, you know, avatars and submerge ourselves into a video game world where we, uh, you know, just all hang out. What, what's, what's the thing that the kids are all doing now? It's not Farmville. What the hell? What, what's Animal Crossing? Is that yeah, it? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so maybe we'll just all, you know, podcasts are done. Let's just all meet up on, on Animal Crossing. You know, I'll, I'll likely be a goat or a cat or something. And, you know, that's just exactly how we should uh, prepare for our future. You know, we're going to. We're going to all become players in, in a big game. That's just, uh, just what I expect. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm trying to s- casually, slowly, but surely uh, transition into our next film. I don't know if you guys noticed that at I all. Got it. Uh, okay. I'm with you. I got my. Zip- I noticed, and I'm just. Yeah, I'm just sitting here listening and, and enjoying <laughs> the, the transition. Uh, enjoying watching you try to make the transition. I don't want to interrupt the flow. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to cradle my Zemeckis cube. <laughs> Let's segue into Ready Player One. Okay, well, I don't know. I let me. I'm gonna. Okay, I remember. I remember the look on your face, Colin, when you walked out of the River East, having just seen Speed Racer. Oh, um, oh, that. God. Now, now let's let me just say this for now. Let me just say this for the record, because you you guys, you know, I I, we kind of have a disagreement on uh, um, uh, Scott Pilgrim, too. But I've grown I've grown to like Speed Racer, which is one of those. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've Mm. I've been I've been converted. Uh, Maybe it was my first Blu-ray experience and I thought it was gorgeous and kind of I actually got caught up in that. And I, I, I feel like. Man, I don't know if I'm just a Wachowski's apologist at this point, but I pretty much like everything they've done outside of uh, that Jupiter, whatever ascending. Oh, is that you'll, it? You'll like it eventually if you like Speed Racer. I'm sure you'll you'll. All right, all right, all right. But uh, I like Jupiter when it comes- ascending more than I like Speed Racer. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So yeah, I I I get kind of exhausted by Ready Player One. I I have a tendency to roll my eyes throughout a lot of it. I mean. Not too long ago, it's it, it was funny because um, I would say late last year, I said, "Okay, I'm going to do this," because you know I know Patrick's a fan. I was I was I was dating somebody who was into games and things, and I was like, "I'm just going to get a PS4 and see what 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 is going on in this whole world that I'm not as in tune with anymore." Because geez, I think the last system I owned was like a Sega Genesis. <laughs> And so I picked up a PS4 and I really tried. There's I'm not just I'm just not sure if my brain is built for these games that are really complex and full of you know world building and like you know just it, they're so damn long and it requires a lot of skill and patience and quick reactions and moving at a fast pace. Um maybe my brain is just suited for Pong. What did, and you, that's, what did you buy to like Speed Racer? <laughs> <laughs> I bought speed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Go on. You know, speed, speed makes every movie better. Um, but yeah, I just, 
I, yeah, like I felt my, my my brain wasn't built for the speed and the visuals of a lot of games that I tried. Uh, I mean, there's cer- there's certainly some good ones that you know I, I are kind of just dumb fun or whatever. But and as I was watching Ready Player One, I'm like, I just I I I can't connect with this movie, even though everything in me says I should because it's very nostalgic. It's clearly aiming at the '80s and pop culture references that normally I would it would bring a smile to my face. And obviously I do, I do enjoy the shining sequence that, that does make me very happy when I'm watching it. Um, but a lot of this just, I don't know. It doesn't, it just doesn't gel with me. It feels really strained and kind of obnoxious. I mean, I do like, once again, I, I Mark Rylance is really great. I, I mean, he's, kind of more in the background here but whenever he does show up in those little flashbacks when he visits the uh the the library i enjoy those scenes um and again and again on a technical level it is a marvel you know for spielberg to basically create his own amusement park and throw in all these incredible visuals throughout the entire movie but it gets it gets just gets dizzying for me um i don't care about the fate of the characters or whether the evil corporation wins or not um, and again, that might just be because maybe it's geared towards a younger demographic or not, but it just becomes too much of a nostalgic spectacle and less about human beings that I, I, I don't get caught up in this, in this, you know, magical world full of cool effects. So uh, it's, it's a movie that I, I, it sounds like it grew on a rewatch for you, Eric, but it, it, it's one that I don't plan to ever watch again. I, it's not. It's not it just doesn't stand out for me as one of Spielberg's strongest efforts, despite the clearly he put a lot of effort into creating the Oasis and a lot of things surrounding it. So thumbs down. Uh, Colin, it sounds like we got one of them. there readers we're talking to here. He liked the library <laughs> scenes. <laughs> he didn't like the video game. Scenes. He liked the library stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say as much about this one. Obviously, that, that as much as I had to say about Lincoln. For one, I really enjoy hearing Colin talk about this movie because he 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 puts together some thoughts about this movie that I think are just kind of perfect. So I'm gonna I'm I'm going to uh, let him talk a little bit more at length about the, the things that I'm, I'm I hope he's going to say again because I like hearing them. Um, but but no, I mean this is. This movie is just fun. It's just it's Spielberg uh, showing off a bit. Um, you know, I is him having fun with all of these nostalgia riffs and things like that. Uh, I, I think you're just it's just a lot of fun to watch him do that. To see him do another what essentially is another animated chase scene like he did with Tintin. These the, the car race scene that happens very early in the movie. Uh, I don't know yeah, if there's any. Fun. Yeah, I don't know if there's any sequence in the movie that even that tops that um, as much as, you know, you get all the nostalgia people on the one shot uh, during that uh, charge sequence uh, later in the film. Uh, but it's just it's, I don't know. It's just I, I I can this is a movie I can sit back and watch in a kind of matinee feel the kind of I mean, this movie is precisely the kind of movie that I would have given four stars to as an eight year old boy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this movie is so tapping into that childhood need for these kind of things, and I think that's one of the things that I 
wish there was a little bit more. I was when I when I saw the movie the first time, I was caught up in the spectacle and trying to you know just piece everything together and catching all the references and that kind of stuff. And when I watched it again uh, not too long ago, uh, I was really hoping that the 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 Mark Ryland stuff, particularly what is all kind of leading up to and him handing over uh, you know the, the, this virtual world to the winner. Uh, I was hoping there was going to be a little, a, a little bit more. I was going to attach a little bit more to sort of Spielberg's own sort of inner feeling that that's the, that's the Spielberg character. He's a guy that's kind of given his all to this world, and he's put it all out there. And now he just kind of wants to fade away into you know and and do other other things that interest him. Uh, that he's missed out on some things because maybe he's done a extra sequel here or something like that and given fans what they wanted sometimes uh when his heart maybe wasn't into it a little earlier in his career uh but you know i didn't i didn't quite get as much out of that the second time as i was hoping to uh so again i think this again you're working with the the material you have and the movie is vastly different than the the, the source material they they they, they really re- that's what i've heard yeah they really re- reworked the film in many ways for the better uh i think but again again the, the visuals in the movie not just the virtual stuff but like the the world when the first time you see the what world the world has become and we just we're just stacking people on top of each other you know and th- those early i mean that it's just it's really kind of glorious science fiction stuff uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's not high-tier Spielberg for me, but it's damn fun Spielberg for me. Uh, and, you know, even though I haven't revisited a lot, uh, I would have no qualms if some, someone said, you want to want to watch Ready Player One? I'm like, yeah, sure, turn on. Let's let's go to a matinee. Uh, I just don't know how to have fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you like the library stuff. <laughs> I know, I work in a library. I can't get enough <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, you reader. Yeah, and you know what you know what Indiana Jones says. If you want to be a good archaeologist, you got to get out of the library. That's um, right. oh, so coming at you. He does. That movie's all about learning. <laughs> that movie is all about learning knowledge. <laughs> it is. We laugh at that library um, boy. It, <laughs> I'm also a library boy, so okay. you know, but a different kind. You read, yeah, but but no, I I I. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 a slight apologist for Crystal Skull as well. So, but I won't get into that. Um, well, yeah, for me, Ready Player One is a movie that it's interesting hearing people's reactions to it because I think it I think the movie is a little late and its arrival um, in terms of like what it glorifies for 80s nostalgia because I think by the time this movie came out, I I felt like 80s nostalgia had been played out and really didn't have much more to offer. So, you know, after uh, Edgar Wright and, and his, his movies and, and TV show spaced uh, did a, a beautiful job of, of, you know, oh, using yeah. the eighties uh, as, as a reference points. Um, JJ Abrams movie, super eight did that as well. And then you had stranger things. So like we have a lot of eighties, a lot of, present day stuff uh using the 80s as inspiration or commentary or just fun to go back to as a source of like comfort food and seeing if you can pick out all the references and everything so by the time this movie came out and those things had come and gone stranger things is still around but um it felt like oh it's 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 a little late but um 
because it's by Spielberg, it's it, it actually does offer something very interesting in that it's his turn to play in the sandbox. It's his turn to say, to make a movie about the things that he's a fan of. Um, mm. While his stuff has been referenced in all these other movies and TV shows and, you know, lovingly so as a tribute to him, I think this was his chance to say, well, here's, here's what I like. I like the iron giant. I think that's awesome. I love Chucky. I really do. Um, I love um, Buckaroo. I love Buckaroo Banzai. I think that movie is great. And I, now I want to like, you know, just get in this, you know, just, just put these references in my movie and, and say how much I love them. Not to mention his own friends, Robert Zemeckis and Stanley Kubrick, of course, getting huge nods in this film. Um, and so I think that's fun to watch. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool that he gets the chance to do that without, and, and you know, like some of the uh, people in post-production, still managed to work his stuff in the background. Like there's a Raiders of the Lost Ark poster in the background. There's a little shot of E.T. at one point. Um, and because it would be really hard not to have this world and not have Spielberg's stamp in it somewhere. And of course you get the giant T-Rex. Um, so uh, the one thing that about this world that is a little, that is very incomplete is the lack of Star Wars and Marvel in it. But of course, this is a Warner Brothers product and not a Disney product. So maybe there was some, uh, you know, some, some, some uh, hard to get stuff in terms of rights and everything like that. But anyway, um, so like, I also think that the, all the stuff with Mark Rylance's character, I think that's, Another thing that hits on Spielberg personally, Eric touched on this, mm-hmm. um, that uh, that he's sort of the surrogate for Spielberg in in the pop culture world, and that he has you know he has sort of set the table for uh, what would become the summer blockbuster and the high concept entertainment, and I mean he and George Lucas did that and. So now they've given rise to a generation of geeks like us who revere their work and worship it and, you know, um, have strong opinions about it and who hold it near and dear to our hearts as part as a big part of our childhoods. And so I think when Spielberg is done making movies or we stop getting Spielberg movies and we go back and we look at his body of work, I think Ready Player One is going to be. Uh, looked at in a different light as one of his most personal films because it, it, it because he is that mark he is the 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 Halliday character he is you know the the one who uh, you know says everybody just wants to say thank you thank you for creating this thank you for for you know doing what you do um, and it's fun to go back and look for Easter eggs in the movies that you know, that Spielberg made and look for the hidden, you know, little touches that sort of, you know, I don't make the experience more complete and, and, and more interesting. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I think all that stuff, it makes for a, a movie that, you know, with his attempts at getting back to making, um, 
crowd pleasing popcorn entertainment, which you know wasn't terribly successful during this period. But I think this was definitely the strongest of those attempts because his heart was into the material. I think in a way that that really wasn't. I mean, or that 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 spoke to him personally in a way that the other movies maybe didn't. Um, and uh, and it's it, I think he's having a lot of fun. It looks like he's having a lot of fun putting the stuff in there. Some of it, I will admit, some of it, some of the pop culture references when they're when they're doled out, kind of make me roll my eyes a little bit. Um, but uh, so it's not by no means a perfect film, and 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 I don't think it is top tier Spielberg. But uh, during this period, it's it's definitely I think it's the most fun Spielberg movie that's meant to be fun. Uh, maybe since Jurassic Park, you know, just as far as like a big blockbuster, it wasn't a summer blockbuster. They released it in March, but like watching it now over the summer in preparation for this podcast is like, man, this is kind of what I miss right now in our, in our landscape (laughs) of, uh, of movies. Um, you know, it's hot, it's, it's hot outside. I don't want to think too much. I just want to, you know, get some popcorn and enjoy, uh, the spectacle of a Spielberg movie and it doesn't have to deliver on all levels. It doesn't have to, you know, get my, it doesn't, I don't have to get teared up during it or anything like that. I just want to have fun with it. And, and that's exactly what this movie gives you permission to do. It's just, just to relax, have fun uh, and watch a director who is just gonna, you know, uh, bring him, bring a sense of joy to his craft in a way that he really, hadn't been successful at for a while. Well, I do. I do like the, uh, that analysis, especially, you know, thinking of, you know, Mark, Mark Rylance's characters being a surrogate for Spielberg. That, that does add an extra layer of heart to it. That, that definitely makes sense. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that at all. I think that's actually really insightful. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I just, overall it, it, it's, I guess parts of it I do obviously love the shining sequence. That's fun. There there are parts of it that I do find fun, but there are just, you know, again, similar to other films that get a little bit too ADD or, you know, manic. Uh I, I I don't I don't connect with or I don't at least enjoy as much as other, you know certainly I <laughs> I don't want to say like I have more fun watching War of the Worlds, but uh, I I think in like you know in World terms Worlds of a, great. no I mean I do I just saying like in terms of a fun yeah in terms of like a fun spectacle you know along the lines of something like Jurassic Park yeah I could see how this would fall into that category, uh, but I just I just get caught up more into and especially Eric you wrote a great piece that you know we can bring up briefly too on on war of the worlds, especially, you know, watching it now, I think, uh, it's one of those movies that the more I watch it, the more I connect with and find a lot more to respond to. And it really, it really affects me. Whereas ready player one, I, I, I wouldn't say like, I'm, you know, a hater about, Oh, on this, on this one in particular, it's just, I kind of shrug it off when it's over. I mean, I, I, it is nice to watch something like this in the summer. And maybe that's why, whether consciously or not, I was like, it'd be fun to talk about Spielberg in the summer, even though we can't go see Spielberg like movies or Spielberg in the theater right now. But 
you know, I, 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 I enjoyed watching other older titles more than this one. I, I, I it's just a personal preference for me for for this one. I just, I don't get caught up in it, which is a shame. I want to, <laughs> you'll always have speed racer. Yeah. Why not? I love the Wachowskis. They're great. I wonder if the, um, the, feeling of disconnect from it. And it's totally valid. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a movie that is, uh, you know, I, 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 I can kind of see why, you know, you wouldn't connect with it necessarily, but um, I do wonder if there's, if the technique of motion capture is a detriment in some ways, because it's not just Spielberg, but like with Zemeckis, uh, you know, his, yeah, yeah, the least yeah, yeah. interesting period of that director was when he got caught up in the motion capture stuff and he produced three movies that I think kind of just sit there for me. Um, the only it, like motion capture, I'm a big animation fan, but motion capture is probably my least favorite form of, of animation um, because it doesn't feel like it's coming from an animator. It, it can work. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it, it's, it's, it's worthless, but because uh, certainly there's, there's been some magical stuff has come from it. But sometimes I wonder if like the sort of synthetic nature of motion capture is a barrier that can't be, that is harder, that's hard to overcome when making an emotional connection to something. I think because right. there's something so kind of kind of fakey about it that uh, I, I think the best, you know, I mean, obviously, like Gollum and Lord of the Rings, that's a great example of motion capture. Uh, Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson basically knows how to do it really well. He did it. I think he did a, a marvelous job with King Kong. Um, but and I think also Mark Rylance in uh, in BFG, as flawed as that movie was of surrounding him, I think he his performance comes through really well in it. But for sure. I just wonder if 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 the sort of the technique is 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 a hard barrier for some people to overcome. It is for me a lot. Um, the I think probably my favorite motion capture animated film, like that's motion capture all the way through, is uh, Monster House. I think that movie's great. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, yeah. I don't. There's something about it, and I think because they they went to the trouble of not making the characters look so human, they still they they their their faces are more angular, they're bigger, they're sort of like deformed in a way uh, that makes it look more like an animated movie, not something that's trying really hard to be realistic but also animated at the same time. Um, and uh, and Spielberg is is diving into that at this period in his career, and and I think he's he's two for he's 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 made one really extraordinary movie, with, which I, I think is Ready Player One, and then two that didn't quite meet the mark. Um, and uh, but the reason why I think it works in Ready Player One is because that world is supposed to be fake and synthetic mm-hmm. and 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 computerized and digitized, and so it's 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 it feels that way for a reason. And uh, so it, it gets a pass <laughs> in, in that case, but I don't know, just something I'm thinking about, like uh, the, the a pattern here with movies that are all motion capture animation. I think you bring up a really good point. I, I hadn't thought of that, but I, I think that's definitely a contributing factor and uh, yeah, not to get, not to get too off topic, but I just, 
off the top of my head, I just realized, oh, another sequel episode down the road, Zemeckis, because <laughs> we just focused mainly on, um, on uh, was it Forrest Gump and Contact? Good Lord, there's so much you can talk about more with Zemeckis, including the fact that, um, what, Eric and I might be the lone defenders of, of Welcome to Marwin, right? Am I right in that? At least on this probably. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? That would be uh that would be an interesting to talk about. But there's motion capture in that too, am I not mistaken? Yeah. Uh yeah. yes, yes there is. Yeah. Yeah. Now see so. there there's an example, there's an example of uh you know, that's kind of that, there's like a there's been this period uh, during this, the time when you know Marwin and Ready Player One came out, where a lot of directors were sort of referencing their own work in mm-hmm. their movies, uh, Alfonso Caron did it with Roma, um, and there's other examples too. And I think it's it's kind of it's pretty nice that Spielberg resisted the temptation to constantly reference his movies in Ready Player One and and really just take the back have that stuff take a a, a backseat whereas in welcome to Marwin, and i think zemeckis got carried away by referencing his own movies throughout that film um which kind of made it more distracting to me which is my, my just that's my main problem with that film but uh you can talk about that on the zemeckis episode if you want yeah at some point maybe next year or we could talk about that's it a good idea whatever well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i think i think we've said enough about ready player one if you're ready to move on just uh, okay. bring up a, you know, a title that, you know, during this period that you think is worth uh, rewatching or bringing up for, for any specific reason. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much willing to go to bat for, you know, either Bridge of Spies or War Horse because I, I kind of, I mean, they're not, again, they're not upper tier all time classics, but just really, really solid entertaining films that, you know, I think are worth spending a Sunday afternoon with. I, you know, almost look at War Horse as being his David Lean film and contains some of the best cinematography in in all of Spielberg's work. That's one thing I I I notice a lot more with uh, things like Bridge of Spies or even Catch Me If You Can. Janusz Kaminski really likes to light things almost like overkill. Like the light comes in through the windows almost blindingly in a lot of his films, you know, and Tom Hanks can be just like sitting there at a diner or something. And it's just like, you know, this giant ray of sunlight is beaming on him, making him look angelic all the time. It's just something I noticed watching, you know, uh, any film that was shot by uh, Kaminsky. Like the Robert Richardson effect. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know if it really bothers me, but it's, just, but it's distracting a little. There's a period where he was really using the key lights to almost blinding effect. I, like if you go and watch uh, Crystal Skull and and Warhorse and I think Tintin a little bit as well, like the key light is like in a weird place that is, like you said, mm. blinding and it and it looks like it's totally unnatural. Yeah, but it's uh, it, he was. It looked like he was experimenting with that quite a bit with those few films, and uh, then stopped with Lincoln and and didn't really come back to it. But um, you know, it's the it was, there's one thing these movies still demonstrate is that he, you know, Spielberg is a master 
visual storyteller. Like you know, so many of these movies you could watch with the sound down and still know what's going on. Maybe not Lincoln, mm-hmm. but you know, <laughs> some of the other stuff. Bridges Spies has a really great script. I, you know, obviously from the Coen brothers, it was kind of a nice collaboration there. Uh, again, like I said, I, I think it could have been tightened up just a little bit, especially towards the end, but I, I enjoyed going on this journey with, uh, with Hanks again in the same way I did with him in uh, catch me. If you can, this is more like negotiate with the enemy, if you can. <laughs> and I, you know, like, again, there's a lot of just good conversations with different factions trying to, you know, negotiate and, that manages to just be every bit as compelling as, you know, some of the stuff in, in Lincoln. Uh, and again, like, you know, both Bridges Spies and Warhorse aren't like in you know, my top 10 Spielberg, but they're, they're, they were pleasant surprises. And, you know, watching them, I enjoy going back to these kind of adult stories. Uh, and, you know, what can you say about Mark Rylance in, in Bridges Spies? There's a reason why he got all the accolades that he did. So I, for me, I, I, I recommend folks going back and uh, checking out Bridge of Spies if they haven't already. Yeah, that's that's full, Bridge of Spies is fully my recommendation, too. I think Bridge of Spies is great. Uh, and it's really interesting looking at this particular period of Spielberg's career. When you look at Lincoln, you look at Bridge of Spies. These are both movies about America. These are movies about the, mm. the American experiment in, in, in so many ways and what we what we wanted it to be and what we, and and what the, you know, the sort of the factions that we, the complications that we get into that, you know, we hear, you know, Russian spies come over and what, you know, whatever he might be doing, we, you know, our first instinct is kill him. And this is a movie about due process. This is, you know, movie starts as a courtroom drama and, you know, in so many ways uh, where the deck is completely stacked against someone we should in many ways be rooting against uh, but you have this lawyer as the hero in, in, in the movie that is arguing basically on, you know, for the for America, uh, you know, for the rights the, give, to give the American legal process to someone who is essentially a, a traitor. You know, I'm not a traitor. I mean, because he's not part of this country, but he's, a, you know, he's a spy. Uh, and then also, you know, showing that, you know, America is doing its own spine over there and, you know, it becomes this whole this trade issue and then it becomes a political thriller. Uh, and it's a, and again, it's a film that feeds into Spielberg's theme of communication uh, mm-hmm. that we've seen so many times. Uh, how, the, the, the way the government's, you know, trying to you know suppress information and mislead and this chessboard that America and Russia was playing with each other uh, at the time and continues to still play in, in so many ways. Uh, you know, it, it's a film that the, the dialogue is so, is so rich in this movie. And even though the Coens don't have exclusive, uh, th- their names exclusively on the screenplay, you know, when their, their words come up, there's, there's, oh, yeah. there's a sequence in the movie that combines the, the, the rich visual, uh, style Spielberg with the language of the Coen brothers when he first gets to, I think, I think it's when he first gets to Berlin and he's having a conversation with the CIA operatives in the car and Spielberg's doing his war of the worlds thing where he's putting us in different parts of the car and spinning the camera around while doing this dialogue that is so, so on the nose Coen brothers uh, that it's just, it's just wonderful. Hanks is so great. In this movie, I think it's one of Hanks' most underrated performances because he's 
he he's he's all American Hanks, but at the same time, he there's a real strength about him. The way that he stands up to his bosses, the way he stands up to the CIA guy when he corners him and tries to strong arm arm him. Uh, and he's always trying to have the upper hand, but he's not perfect either. He's, you know, he's, he's so richly American in, in that way. And I, I, and Rylance again is so good in the movie. I, I really wish I could adopt that whole uh, idea. Just like, you know, can I do something about it? Well, no, and I, no sense worrying about it. Nothing I can do about it. Um, yeah, I, I, Bridge of Spies is, is next to Lincoln. I think is the strongest film in this period of Spielberg that we're talking about. I would agree. Yeah, just to just just to switch it up, I I totally agree with you guys. But um, the more I the more times I see the post, the more I appreciate it. Um, I think this is you know this is kind of his Sidney Lumet film in his in his filmography in that it's you know it's a great film about it's it's you know it kind of falls in line with the all the president's men uh, obviously the reference points are are you know obvious um but uh just the you know obvious message aside that comes in at the end um you know the the sort of high stakes decisions that had to be made at the washington post during this period were really felt in this movie and um you know just putting everything in context with you know the washington post going public and uh you know having to please shareholders while also avoiding a big you know legal battle with this information and whether or not to publish it and just like all those things weighing down on this woman who was never uh you know, meant to be the head of the Washington Post. She just inherited it and is doing the best she can in a in a world that is dominated by men who do not take her seriously at all. And, you know, just I think, you know, Streep is strong in everything, of course, but really strong here in conveying that that pressure and the ease of with with which she dealt with it, uh, at least on the outside. And, um, and I think Hanks is a lot of fun to watch in it as, as Bill Bradley and another strong supporting cast throughout the whole film. Um, and yeah, I think, I think this is, and also like going back to the fact that, you know, he made it while in post-production on another movie, (laughs) a very complicated movie, uh, just kind of shows that, uh, Spielberg is, is not in a hurry to retire or rest, He's got so much left in him. And um, I hope we get to see West Side Story before the end of the year. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I doubt it, but I, you know, be cool. Uh, <laughs> I know he's not going to exactly like be on board with selling it to Netflix. Uh, you know, he's already made that point abundantly clear in his statements <laughs> uh, about Netflix. Um so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Eric, this, this must suck for you. Like, you're, you're, I mean, it sucks for everybody. But like, God, Christopher Nolan and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. All these, your, your top, your top two directors have these great movies. Uh, you know, hopefully great. Just ready yeah. to go. And God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, and it's bookending this 
period. You know, it's like the Tenant was supposed to be the movie that was going to bring everything back. West Side Story is going to movie that ended this horrible year. I'm hopefully a joyful yeah. uh, note in, in so many ways. You know, we've been waiting Spielberg to do a full blown musical his entire career. And he finally, you know, he's going to do the maybe the biggest musical of all time. And uh, and it's just it's, you know, wrecked with some scandal. And now, yeah. you know, it's just. Uh, oh, yeah, that's it, right. You know, so the man on top of it. And it's just like, you know, like this, I mean, talking about a movie that's just like, oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, no, it sucks. <laughs> Ask me again how I'm doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. 2020 <laughs> sucks. Oh, this movie is, this year is garbage. Yeah, can't mm-hmm. we just hibernate yeah. and then wake up next year? We are hibernating. <laughs> well, that's true, we are. <laughs> More or, or less. We should be hibernating. Most, yeah, yeah I know. Ones are I'm, hibernating. I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck at going to work and I'm yeah. always contorn about it, but nevertheless, I, uh, I, I, I'm very glad we had this conversation. Was there anything you want to say about the post Eric before we, uh, Get ready to wrap things well, yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, it's just I mean, again. Yeah, I think that it, it makes for kind of an interesting American trilogy in a way. That, you know, the sort yeah. of you know, the post was like Colin kind of briefly mentioned. It was kind of like kind of rushed into production a little bit because it was it was there. Like Spielberg got this screenplay and just like let's do this. You know, he sent it to Hanks. You know, he sent it to Streep and was like let's do this. Um, and it's just you know the way he opened. You know, you get Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks in the movie for the first time, and you you see Spielberg just go like. I'm just going to let them sit at this table and talk. I'm just going to put the camera mm-hmm. on them and let them do their thing. And it's just that that's, you know, that's, you know, part of the magic right there. Uh, but again, you know, like Lincoln and Bridges spies, you know, Spielberg didn't know Trump was coming into office at the time. And yet those are two movies that feel so distinctly pulling, pushing against what has happened these past three and a half years. And the post is a direct commentary. I mean, the post is, during the very first year of the Trump administration is completely there about what was mostly the, a, a signature issue for that, that period, which was the freedom of the press and fake news mm. and all that stuff. So the post is a very, you know, Spielberg who was, was not one to be, to jump into the political realm, even though, you know, Jaws now is the most prescient film of all time. Uh, you know, don't go in the water, you know, we got to keep the economy going. Uh, but you know the the post was a direct smack at what was happening in America, uh, and it was based on a tr- story that happened in America so many years ago. So again, we're doomed to repeat history if we don't follow it. And I think that you know the more people watch Spielberg, the more people will be you know happy. So yeah, I know, I, I know. <laughs> I wish I had a better line there, but his movies make me happy. And they certainly have done that for me more and more over the years. I wouldn't say I was in like the dismissal or, you know, not, I don't know. If, I don't know if Nick was a hater of Spielberg, but he certainly didn't like a lot of the films that were revered. And I don't I, I think he was just kind of like overall mixed on Spielberg. I wouldn't say I wasn't I was in that category for a while. I just didn't feel the way you guys did the way a lot of cinephiles have felt until recently. And I think certainly having that drive and experience with, uh, with Colin really, yeah, just opened my eyes up even more. And I feel like, yeah, he was a director I should have connected with when I was a lot younger, but I'm grateful that it's finally happened. Even if it took a while, uh, you know, seeing close encounters and ET at the drive-in was just like kind of a revelation all over again. 
because you, you see it on the, on a big screen and in a certain context at a certain time. And uh, it all just sort of magically worked for me. And so now it's like, you know, the more I rewatch a lot of his films, the more I get it, the more I go, he's one of the all time greats without question. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> so yeah, when you have the, when you have the talent and the success, you know, the people can resent it a little yeah. bit. And I think yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. natural in any walk of life. Um, so we, we usually end things with our top five or our top three. And I obviously with Spielberg, it could be just, you know, it doesn't have to be from this period. It really can just be, what are your top five Spielberg movies? Just to sort of wrap up the overall Spielberg trilogy. And I don't think mine have changed since the last time we recorded. Cause, uh, none of the titles that we talked about are in my top 10, but I will go first and say that. I think nothing will ever beat Jaws for me as being my favorite Spielberg movie at number one. Number two is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Number three is E.T. Number four is Raiders. And number five is Munich, which I wanted to watch again in time for this conversation, uh, even though we were we already talked about it. But I, I, I'm excited to watch all of my favorite Spielberg movies again. And uh, I just caught up with uh, the Sugarland Express for the first time and really, really liked it a lot. So I'm glad that uh, I finally caught up with that one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it, it's, it's, it's become increasingly obvious to me that I can never rank Spielberg's movies because in, in, even though the, the top ones uh, are very uh, interchange and not, not so much interchangeable with the, uh, the rest of the, the resume, but I, I don't like ranking Spielberg's movies. So I'll just, I'll throw out five, that are yeah. always going to be nerds because they, 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 they do change over time, you know? Uh, so like jaws and ET can easily be number one at any given time. So jaws, ET Raiders, close encounters. And then I'll, I'm going to say saving Trevor Ryan. Excellent. Yeah. I, um, a couple months ago, just, just to see if I could, because I'd seen a lot, I've been watching a lot of Spielberg's other movies. Um, but you know, over the years I've just been, you know, watching blocks here and there of, of his work. Thanks to partly to the music box, which had a whole Spielberg, uh, marathon at their theater, uh, when ready player one came out and they had that in 70 millimeter, mm. they had like a whole week of like sci-fi Spielberg movies. And then just other reasons to go back and watch a bunch of them. So it's like, well, I, now I feel like I've seen a lot of them uh, recently to, to put together a list. So I went on Letterboxd and actually ranked them. Um, they could easily switch around. But anyway, <laughs> but as much to my surprise, I actually finished it and looked at it and went, yeah, this, this looks about right. Um, my number one is E.T. That was the film that, you know got me into movies that was you know summer of 82 that was the year that my my life changed um number two is empire of the sun the last time i watched that movie uh it just like man this is i I, i've seen this movie so many times um it just has a quality to it that is a, a, a a just a surreal uh vision of childhood and war that i have never seen before and there's some of the, his strongest imagery in that movie that just like blows me away um and then number three is jaws number four Cole's encounters number five raiders of the lost ark um and, and then number six is the surprise for me is how much i love 
uh, artificial intelligence now. Mm. AI oh, wow. is my number is my six is my sixth favorite Spielberg movie now. Um, which I the last time I saw that, which was at the music box. Uh, again, same thing with Empire of the Sun. There's just so much surreal, uh, dreamlike imagery in in these two films that uh, I hope he taps into at some point again. Uh, that are just like mind blowing to me. Uh, so yeah, is uh, so AI out on is AI out on uh, 4K? No. Eric, oh okay. Pretty sure it's pretty sure it's not. Okay. War of the Worlds is. Yeah, yeah, I'm picking that one up for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I should revisit. Yeah, well, I should just revisit all Spielberg's movies. What the hell? Because <laughs> they make you happy. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can is mm-hmm. really high up there. That one makes me happy mm-hmm. for sure. And I do agree with you uh, more, uh, Colin, with uh, with Empire of the Sun. The more I watch it, the more it moves me. And uh, yeah, there's he's pretty good. He's pretty he's pretty good at his job. Yeah, you yeah. really, you know, oh, what took me so mm-hmm. long? <laughs> it's really weird, but you're my spent, brain is weird. Spent too much time in the library. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very very true. Uh, I I love that scene in uh, Last Crusade. With this <laughs> takes place in the library every time he stamps something. Yes. Yeah. It's a very funny uh, <laughs> gag. Looks anyway, like, looks like Albert Einstein, and the the stamp looks like a mushroom cloud. <laughs> look, ooh, I got an idea. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. So this was great. I I really enjoyed uh, having you guys back on, and who knows, maybe if he makes another half a dozen movies or so, you know, maybe there'll be a part four. I hope he keeps working. If we'll we see ever ya. have movies again. Yeah, that's true. I hope everybody keeps mm. working and yep. can work, but uh, you know. We'll, we'll see what happens and hope that we get to see West Side Story at some point in the next two or three years. Yes. But uh, where can we find more of your work and follow you on the Internet and such? Uh, Colin, we'll go with you first. Well, you can listen to me on the Now Playing Network with Christmas Movies Actually uh, with Yay. my girlfriend, Carrie Finnegan. We have an episode out this week about a very obscure film from 1940 called beyond tomorrow which is also known as beyond christmas it's this bizarre uh movie that kind of is a precursor to like a guy named joe and always it has this sort of spiritual you know angels watching Hmm. over people vibe to it uh very strange film and then uh i don't know you can follow me on facebook uh, uh oh um com. i'm still writing about short films every month for rogerreaper.com and uh that's about it i think uh for now and letterboxd yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and letterboxd Eric? Oh, sure hit me up on letterboxd yeah. you can find me in my house that's Same. about what <laughs> I am right now. I mean, uh, the, the Movie Madness podcast and Now Playing Network. Uh, we haven't had new episodes for uh, some time uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, we weren't, you know, the, the DVD segment we normally do on there. Uh, not a lot of people were sending stuff out during during, mm. during time. So that's one reason. Another reason uh, is just have to, you know, life has had to go on to try to find things to stay afloat so uh, i was hoping it was going to come back uh, relatively shortly it might be another month uh before we get uh, something else up at this point 
Uh, but that exists. Uh, I would say you could hear me on WGN radio, but we're also on hiatus for that <laughs> uh, because uh, the, the upper management uh, doesn't apparently think streaming exists, I guess. I, I don't understand that, but uh, we're basically on hiatus at WGN radio on the Nick DiGiulio show until movies come back to theaters. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> I normally write for Rotten Tomatoes, but there are no movies to write about, so I can't write there. Uh, so Eric, can, yeah, I, you can, Eric, can I ask you something? Yes, please. Eric. Can I can I ask you something uh, box office related? I I of saw I, I, didn't, I didn't I didn't click on these headlines, but I saw them a week ago or two weeks ago, uh, saying that you know the Empire Strikes Back was the number one movie at the box office, and I know it played at a bunch of drive-ins last week, and I'm just wondering, is that being tracked? I mean, is that is that a legit, you know, yes thing that's being tracked right now? Okay, wow, uh, like box is. office, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I have, I because I haven't been looking at box office mojo as regularly as I obviously did in the past, so I haven't noticed if they've been keeping up. I, I've have, I've seen, I've seen a couple of charts where they've charted like eight or nine movies that have been listed and whatnot. But there was there was story. I did a story about this. Oh, I can, you can't see me every week on Business First AM. I still am doing my TV segment commenting about the, the world that doesn't exist. Uh, so you can still catch me there. And we did we did do a segment <laughs> uh, about maybe three or four weeks ago where I talked about uh, where it's like Jurassic Park and E.T. and Back to the Future and all these, it was like all these movies we probably kind of talked about today were all in the top ten. Like six or it was like six or eight movies had Spielberg's name attached to them, wow. including yeah. like you know like the Back to the Future and the Goonies and stuff. People were playing these were playing these <laughs> retro movies, and they were the top. Like uh, I think it was like Jaws and ET were number one and number two at the box office, separated by like a thousand dollars. I think that's so weird. Yeah. yeah. So like their all time totals are just going back up. <laughs> Because they're actually tracking these movies that are playing not even just one-offs, but like playing like entire weeks of drive-ins and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it doesn't sound like much of a story to track, but it is. It's fascinating. It's you know, it just shows you the movies that do stand the test of time, and that people are still willing to go out to to, to venture out them any theater possible for them. So it's 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 it, yeah, it's it's true. Yeah, and I, I know the, the vast of night. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to, I was going to ask, is, is the dollar amount like the range, like for like the one and two movie? Is it just like hovering in the, the million, two million, 500,000? What, what's yeah, been the, it was like, like the Jurassic Park ET numbers from a few weeks ago was like 576 to 575,000. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think it went maybe it went down from like it was like five hundred five hundred seventy five thousand to like one hundred twenty five thousand in the top ten. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I think it was yeah, like, I, I, yeah, eight Spielberg movies and like two Disney films. I think, if I remember right. I just think more new releases should and could open up at at drive-ins. I know the vast of night, like that's kind of what they were taught, like they had a list on their website of all the drive-ins it would be playing at. And I was like, well, why can't it be, uh, you know, at all every drive-in because that movie plays perfectly. Oh, I I was just going to say the, the drive-ins in Illinois are primarily single screen drive-ins and Mm. the, you know, the, 
the what what single screen drive-ins have to do what all drive-ins have to do they have they're basically uh, operating at half capacity now so you can't get as many cars uh-huh. in as you used to be able to but you also they need to make sure that that venue sells out on a regular basis because they're not making money off the movies. They're making money off concessions and the people that are going to get to the moot that are going to go to the movies are going to be, you know, people who are going to know what they're getting when they pay the admission. So it's safer to program a Goonies or Jurassic park or whatever, because people know what they're getting and they'll be up for it. And they'll, and they'll, they'll, they'll fill up the lot. Whereas if you book, the vast of night and relic. Okay. We know what those movies are because we're geeks and we're following, you know, indie film, but, and they probably would play okay at a drive-in, but uh, most people are going to look at that and go, I don't know what that is. I don't know if I want to bring my kids to that. I'm going to stay home. And so the drive-ins are going to lose out. Now drive-ins that have more than one screen and they are out there can afford to mix and match and, and put old stuff with new sure, stuff. Sure. And so that's why you're, you're not seeing a lot of those new movies play at the drive-ins in, in Illinois because we just don't have the screens for them. And yet, when when the drive-ins, when the story first started to take shape, and uh, you know, just like oh, drive-ins are drive-ins are reopening, drive-ins are becoming the only place where they're actually showing movies anywhere, and some of them were, you know, showing these like IFC midnight films and stuff like that. The number one film in the country at one point was Swallow. What? <laughs> yeah, true. True story. It was like March or April, I think it was March or maybe even April. There was a week where Swallow made like two hundred forty thousand dollars or something like that, and it was all it was mostly because of drive-ins. Hmm. Wild. Yeah. It's a w- weird, weird world we're living in, people. Um. Yeah. Just to wrap things up, I as far as this show goes, I'm I'm actually going to take the month of August off because I got to catch up on recording music, and uh, I just you know, kind of had this epiphany the other day that it would be really great if I could put out a tribute record for my favorite band, uh, which is Wilco. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to make, I wanted to make sure this was all legit and that, you know, you get licensing rights and we actually can have all the proceeds go to charity. And so, you know, I wound up contacting the lead singer's manager and I got the blessing directly from the lead singer to go Ooh. ahead and put this whole, put this whole thing together, which is kind of wonderful and great. And it'll be out in October. So now I'm like going to put my energy back into some music related projects, you know, for just for a little while, but I think in September we'll be back ready to roll. I got to sort of finalize the schedule for the fall. Uh, some interesting, I know, I know for sure in October we're doing Lucio Fulci, which, uh, Oh boy. I'm excited for that because I've only seen like two movies of his and I know both Patrick and uh, guest Gabe Powers are huge fans. So that one's definitely set in stone, but we'll see about September. Um, but uh, yeah, until then, follow me at Letterboxd, now playing Jim, Twitter at now playing Jim, and of course, visit directorsclubpodcast.com or send me an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Colin and Eric. Really appreciate you guys coming aboard once again, and we'll talk to you to both very soon. I hope. My pleasure. Thank you. Sounds good. Be safe. Thank Be you. Be safe, everyone. Everyone. Take care. Wear a mask. Okay. Agreed. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>